to do? Making a video. Making a video. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Rank and Review. This episode, returning guest Ashley Pachkowski and I will be looking at six horror films on the subject of planes, trains, and automobiles. As is typical with this program, you can expect spoilers for the films discussed, as well as coarse language. This is your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons. I'd like to thank you for listening to Rank and Review. If you could seek us out on Facebook and like the page, or seek us out on iTunes and give us a positive review, or better yet, both of those things, you'd be helping out the show a lot. Also, if you could just tell other film geeks in your life that the show exists, you'd be doing me a solid. Sit back, relax, and welcome to Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Ashley Pachkowski is back here, and she's actually in the garage. Um, I feel like school's in session again, because last time you were here, you, you, you honored me by saying that I was, uh, I was ushering you into the genre sort of ex- film experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so last time we did subtitled scares, and uh, now you're back to do Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is not just one of my favorite movies of the 80s, but it's a, it's a, a, a theme throughout the, the six movies that we have here, mm-hmm. um, that people are being chased or trying to escape using different forms of transportation. It's a fairly thin genre uh, sort of uh, topic, yeah. but uh, I think within it we've got several different types of movies. Uh, you chose this list out of many, so I I, I'm curious as to what uh, drew you to it. I had seen none of the movies on this list. Uh, Something I'm I'm looking for when you present me with lists is to expose myself to new things. Uh, And I saw that it had the Cillian Murphy vehicle Red Eye, which I had not seen and wanted to see. So, you know, not enough Cillian Murphy in my life, which I will go into. This is something we can just address right out of the gate. I have always called him Cillian Murphy, but I have been corrected that it is in fact Killian Murphy. Killian or I don't know, it's uh, Irish names, I don't know. But uh, I was told it's Killian Murphy, so uh, I've been misspeaking all, all right. this time. The whole review I did of 28 Days Later now <laughs> seems just to be a lie, but um, yeah. Well, he is dreamy. Let's be real. There's a lot of, uh, it also has, uh, my wife and I refer to Jake Gillenhotty mm-hmm. or, or uh, Donnie Darko himself. Yeah. Uh, so there's some there's some cute boys I guess and in and it. Bradley Cooper I, mean, I won the jackpot <laughs> on the male leads here <laughs> yeah see I, I guess I haven't been entirely won over by Bradley Cooper oh, okay. yet um, but this is early in his career let's uh, let's talk about the movies that we're going to discuss we have from the eighties a, a uh, sort of classic slasher picture I guess called the Hitcher mm-hmm. um, we have. The Midnight Meat Train, starring the aforementioned Bradley Cooper. At the time this movie was made, there was no hangover. No, he was not really in the public consciousness. He was just an actor thrilled to get a job, yeah. I'm sure. We have Flight of the Living Dead, Outbreak on a Plane. 
I feel like I just reviewed the movie by saying <laughs> it's title. <laughs> um, from uh, horror auteur Wes Craven, we have Red Eye, starring Canadian Rachel McAdams. I didn't know she was Canadian. She is. Um, if you are a fan of all things Canadian and theater, you should check out a show called Slings and Arrows. Mm-hmm. And she is in the first couple of seasons before she became too famous for Canadian television. Oh. <laughs> um, source Code. Um, from Duncan Jones, the director of another great science fiction movie called Moon, and the son of one David Bowie. What? That is a pedigree. <laughs> Factoid. Fun fact, you guys. <laughs> and last but not least, we have uh, Passengers. A fairly star-studded, but uh, not very much discussed, ghost movie. Passengers. Um, so we are all over the place here. <laughs> um, we have sort of a straight-up kind of basic thriller, and we have sort of a more bloodletting slashes. We have uh, Clive Barker by way of H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess if you wanted to get the experience of genre movies, you picked a pretty good... <laughs> once, yeah, once again, once again, I, I've chosen a really mixed bag of... <laughs> Uh, so nothing, nothing upset you necessarily. There's nothing that you uh, uh, wish that you could unsee, or do you uh, just want to wait till we get to well, the movies? Yeah, we'll we'll wait till we get to the movies, and I will. But uh, maybe not as strong a list as subtitled scares. Uh, no, I think the overall quality was not as high as subtitled scares. Um, we set a high bar. We we set a high bar, and there is <laughs> there is gold in this mine too. Okay, well, let's do it. Heading west on the long, lonely highway, only his dreams for company, until... My mother told me never to do this. Before many miles, he'll wish he'd taken his mom's advice. When Jim Halsey left the hitcher into his car, he opened the doors of hell. Okay, The Hitcher, which came out in 1986. It's directed by a man named Robert Harmon, who's done mostly television work subsequent to this. In my mind, this movie was a big deal, but I saw this when I was 10 years old, Mm -hmm. and uh, it blew my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My son is now 10 years old, and if he was to watch this movie, I think it would probably put him in a hospital. <laughs> he gets scared very easily. I don't oh, know no. I don't know how I got away with seeing the stuff that I saw at a young age. But um, Rudger Hauer is uh, a legitimate star at this time. He's not sort of Rudger anything for a dollar Hauer. <laughs> he became like the direct-to-video guy. He was trying to, you know, I don't know if he was in a silent competition with Steven Seagal and John mm-hmm. Van Damme to see who could have the most direct-to-video movies released. <laughs> but there was a time where Rudger Hauer was legitimate, and he kind of earned that with you know performances in, in Blade Runner and, and the like. That's um, where I'd see him. All yes. Right. Everybody likes Blade Runner. <laughs> um, he plays this man, John Ryder, who encounters our lead character, Jim, played by C. Thomas Howell, mm-hmm. who was something of a celebrity in the 1980s. So, All right. Um, <laughs> He encounters a hitchhiker, unsurprisingly. And in the first opening sort of 
pre-coda of the movie, has a brief horrifying exchange with this mysterious rider fellow and manages to escape him and drives away. I've recently reviewed a movie, When a Stranger Calls, which sort of feels like the beginning is a short film, but then the rest of the movie, they just try to expand on that mm -hmm. short film. In a way, we see him escape Ryder, and movie is over. But no. In The Hitcher, this is where the movie begins. <laughs> um, so I'm very curious what you thought of the 1986, in quotations, classic, classic. The Hitcher. Um, all right, well, coming to it fresh, uh, for me, the pacing did not hold up. No? Uh, mm -hmm. This was, I found it very slow. Um, yeah, uh, Rutger Hauer was fantastic. He was like, the perfect amount of creepy, uh, where you, you could see that somebody would pick this guy up and then realize that it was a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah uh, the, the lead was the Jim character. The, the actor was acceptable. I didn't find him exceptional in any way. He was pretty enough. I could see how you probably... Like you he say he was an adequate protagonist. He was an adequate protagonist. The moment when he's gotten away from the guy and then he's coming up behind the family car and he's there was actually... That was a nice... Genuinely chilling. That yes. was a nice chilling moment. We've established that Mr. Ryder enjoys popping people's eyeballs and kills people for pleasure. That that's his business. Mm -hmm. And, and um, seeing him holding that little girl's teddy bear and waving from the back of the mom mobile you know you know that's bad news yeah. for everybody involved um and that's what i will say about the hitcher i mean this is not a pg horror movie there's a <laughs> substantial body count yeah. of that family of five is is wiped off the board as a plot point in this movie we don't get we're not privy to the violence in that case mm -hmm. but that's fine I think what was interesting to me and and again i saw it as a young age so it sparked my imagination yeah. was uh what was the deal with this Ryder guy? Because to me, he almost—he must have supernatural powers. Like he is always exactly where he needs to be to properly stalk mm -hmm. Jim, to a point like a Jason Voorhees type teleportation sort of <laughs> skill. Like he just is wherever he needs to be to scare us. He will put a severed finger in Jim's French fry plate just to fuck with him, right? Yeah, that's ridiculous. But at the same time, that scene. Really, really horrifying, right? <laughs> um, and to me, you were talking about the pacing, is that, like, if you step back and you start asking these questions, uh, sensibly the movie starts to fall apart. Yeah. For me, it's like um, the fact that he, he is constantly being chased and that he's being framed and that every turn that he takes, you know, gets him in deeper shit. Yeah. Um, I sort of felt that the amount of shit that was happening to Jim let me ignore the sort of silliness of the plot around it. Yeah. And it is. This is mid-80s, post-Terminator. You know, this is an action horror movie. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we actually have a scene where an entire police precinct is wiped out <laughs> by this serial killer. Yeah. And again, like, we didn't see the exchange, so did he get a few rounds? What did, like, is he supernaturally powerful? I don't know. The only thing that seems clear to me through the story is that John Ryder wants Jim to kill him. He wants Jim to be the guy who stops mm -hmm. him for whatever reason. And he keeps on giving Jim these opportunities to stop him and Jim keeps on fucking it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, falling back on the uh, my age-old horror movie rule of no good deed goes unpunished. I think we need to discuss the character of Nash, played by Jennifer Jason oh, Leigh. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> 
think I think my reaction says <laughs> I didn't get her. Okay. I didn't um her particular her relationship with Jim. Um, I, I didn't buy that a girl would turn on, like, the police and the people that have been around her forever for a guy that she had, like, one kind of good conversation She vibed with, with briefly. Yeah. Like, it was a conversation. It's true. But, and again, I, this is, like, something that I've called in all horror movies a lot of times. <laughs> like, she goes out of her way to help them when she sees that the police... Because one of the people who was felled by the killer was a brother of one of the arresting officers are doing everything they can to create the scenario to kill Jim. She smells a loud rat. Like, mm-hmm. like taking it to the extent that she does, yeah, I don't know. And uh, there's one thing to protect him from being murdered. It's another thing to take this suspected serial killer to back to your hotel room <laughs> afterwards. But it doesn't work out for Nash at all. No. Spoilers. <laughs> And I loved that the movie went there. Yeah. I, I, I loved that they let Ryder kill Nash. Yeah. That was... Because in any other movie, right, you'd think that these two are going to walk off yeah. in the sunset together. She has been so sweet, and the movie's gone out of their way to make us like her. Mm-hmm. You might not buy all of her choices, but she's got moxies. Yeah. <laughs> so you want Nash to win. And, not, and, and you know, she's bound between a semi-truck and a, and a trailer, and extensively pulled... Yeah. And half. Like, this is not a good way to go. <laughs> and to think of the psychological damage done to the Jim character, too. And this, <laughs> like, I think that for all the physical hell he goes through, it's years of therapy. Yeah. Years of therapy. <laughs> now, I have not seen it, but apparently there's a sequel to this movie as well as a remake to it. Right. And I think John or, or C. Thomas Howell might be in it. Um, so I don't know where that goes, but maybe he's going to become the killer now or whatever, but crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, I think that the reason I like this movie as much as I do is because, yeah, it was forbidden fruit when I saw it Mm -hmm. at a young age, but watching it again now, there are still moments that stand out to me as creepy. When he has that conversation with Rutger Hauer and Rutger Hauer licks these coins and sticks these coins... On his face. It's an absurd notion, but it, it's a, like old, old school. Like when mm-hmm. you would put these coins on the dead person's eyes as like a fair to get across the river sticks, yeah. right? Um, that detail, that they don't explain that. He just puts the coins on his eyes, mm-hmm. you know? Again, makes me suggest that something bigger might be going on here than we are actually privy to. Um, in the end, he's just a, I guess you could just say he's a super crazy serial killer who manages to always be in the right place in the right time and has killed more people and more police on record than any criminal yeah. ever recorded. But in the end, he is gunned down. He does seem to die as a mortal yeah. should die. But I don't know. I felt more implications to this. I felt like this somehow was a bigger story. All right. And I didn't get that, but that take does make it more interesting. Yeah, um, yeah if this has been going on, if... He wants Jim to kill him so that Jim will then become the hitcher. The Which is a theme that we're going to see in another movie we're going to talk about. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's it, it's touched on, but maybe more, more coming from what I want the movie mm-hmm. to be than what the movie actually is. There's also a bunch of insane action sequences to the movie. <laughs> There's like a crazy car chase and a gunfight between... You know, a, a helicopter and a, a whole cadre of police that is completely ludicrous and entertaining. Yeah. 
And, you know, I guess it, I, I would just ask, what do you want from this movie, The Hitcher, that you are watching? Because it held my attention. I wasn't bored by it. It's maybe not as awesome as I thought it was when I was a kid. But, uh, you know, I think it works more than it doesn't, right? I, I, I don't have strongly bad things to say. Um, it, it didn't hold my attention, I think, the way that it needed to for me to, you know. In, engage and and care the way the way you need to to really get it right uh, a couple of fun facts for you mm-hmm. um, Jeffrey Duman plays one of the uh, sheriffs in this he's uh, in a lot of uh, like uh, Frank Darabont movies Shawshank Redemption and with that he was in the first couple seasons of The Walking Dead he's kind of a genre face but seeing him in this movie he's a genre face before he was mm-hmm. a genre face which is cool and there's also an interesting blooper uh at about the midway point in the film, Jim is thrown down against the hood of the car by a bunch of fairly enthusiastic and furious police officers. And if you watch, his leg comes up and smashes one of the officers across the <laughs> face. And the guy keeps going. They keep the tape. It's kind of good. It's worth looking for because it's like a way to not blow the tape. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff probably happens. <laughs> Points for realism in a fairly not realistic <laughs> movie. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to say um, um, about the Hitcher before we move on? No, no. I think we've we've covered all of my notes. It's it's made in the eighties, but it doesn't. I don't think it's aged badly in that eighties wheel. You can tell yeah. the synth the synth sort of score is there, but it doesn't have like that. But if you swapped out like if you swapped out the music, yeah. uh, and that might help with my pacing issues yeah. with it too uh yeah it, it as a as a story it's it's basic and it's straightforward and yeah. it's, a lot of people will go ooh 1986 i don't know but actually this this holds up i think hmm. it, it's not like night of the comet or some of these 80s movies that you have to have a love of the 80s yeah. pastiche no, it's not going out of its way to be in the 80s it just happened to have taken place in the 80s yeah what interests you city because no one's ever captured it not the way it really is. That's my goal, that's my dream. Then you're failing. The next time you find yourself at the heart of the city, stay put, keep shooting. It began with a photograph. A single act of unthinkable evil. I saw it. Take your pictures to the cops. I wasn't stalking her. But you did continue to photograph. Okay, the Midnight Meat Train from 2008. Um, This is based off of a novella by Clive Barker from his Books of Blood. Not familiar with these? No, Okay. Um, Candyman gets his origin from there. Um, There's a... I think he did six volumes of these Books of Blood. And they were basically novellas. Most of them fairly dour tales, like the mm-hmm. one that we are treated to here. Um, it stars Bradley Cooper, as we discussed, Vinnie Jones, Leslie Bibb, and Roger Bart, who needs to buy a last name. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the director, and I'm going to mutilate this, <laughs> Ryuhei Katamera, or however that's legitimately supposed to be pronounced, <laughs> um, is a... 
you can tell he's a visually gifted director. He's doing everything he can to make this like a grime, grimy, grimy sort of mm-hmm. real city feel to it. Urban decay kind of vibe. And that much of it, I think, does kind of work. The story centers around this uh, photographer who's a little bit of a danger junkie and uh, who's sort of slips the line of like, when do you interject to help somebody? When do you put the camera down and stop taking the awesome photographs and help mm-hmm. somebody who is in danger? You understand him to be on this sort of slippery precipice. He's got the artistic genius thing going for him that he's trying to be authentic and he's yeah. trying to capture the city in its sort of perfect true brutality, but at what cost? And I think that not so subtly is what the movie is going to explore. <laughs> How far does one go in, in pursuit of this quest? I am a patron of the arts, but I'm not a diva person. I don't like that kind of personality. This is like, everyone has to stop and respect my genius or mm-hmm. uh, great art at any cost. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that as a conceit. But compared to the evil that this man is put up against, I'm on his side. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. That's basically the premise of the Midnight Meat Train. It uh, is a substantially darker picture than even the Hitcher, and probably the harshest of the yeah. six that we've selected. Definitely. So, I am curious to see what you have to say about the Midnight Meat Train. Um, I really, I loved the style of this. Uh, I felt um, the, the, the heightened reality uh, throughout really... Um, really upplayed the uh, the visual storytelling um, and it was internal while being internally consistent it wasn't like there are some really pretty shots and some you know they, camcorder shots yeah. it was beautiful throughout it, well our main killer figure here we had John Ryder in the Hitcher mm-hmm. there's this mahogany figure and um, he is doesn't have a speak a word yeah. he just wears a suit and carries his little briefcase full of butcher's implements. And uh, if you're on the last train that are the la- at the station, uh, that, that sucks for you. Really? Because he's going to brutally kill you and hang you up on the hooks or meat. Yeah. Um, we're not exactly sure why he is the way he is, why he's doing what he's doing. But the deeper into the movie, the more larger conspiracy we start to sense yeah. is going on around this. And the more we feel that he doesn't really want to be doing this he is compelled in some way uh, I thought yeah I mean he he does it with the same reluctance someone would do their job yeah uh, like it's not something that he's necessarily passionate about but it is his lot it is what he has to mm-hmm. do HP um, Lovecraft is de- very much influenced into a lot of the Book of Blood stories but and very definitely this one in that spoilers the, the there are offerings being made to the old ones. Mm-hmm. Fans of Cabin in the Woods will see this as sort of thing again. Um, this is an evil, yes, but it is a necessary evil because if we don't allow this evil to take place, a greater evil arises from the deep. We don't know any of this. We sort of get delved into the world by this photographer. Um, he photographs one of the murders and tries in earnest to report it to mm-hmm. the police and nothing happens. And the more he scratches this itch, the deeper this thing becomes. Um, You get the feeling, or at least I did, that our protagonist, because he's established as a grimy person in a grimy world, is headed towards a grim fate. 
I did anyway. <laughs> Maybe because it was Bradley Cooper, and uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he has now established himself as a leading man here. Like you maybe wouldn't expect to see him in this movie now. Yeah. But as a younger actor, yeah, you know, like I say, it's a leading role in you know a movie with yep. Clive Barker's name on it. People will watch it. So I get it, but I don't think I could really adequately prepare somebody for how dark this movie is going to go. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, it's not a feel-good number at all, and, and some people will just have a distaste for it for that fact. It's true to the heritage of H.P. Lovecraft, and it's pretty true to the Books of Blood, in that most of the time it's not all <laughs> holding hands and singing at the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't mind a dour ending, and I, I think a little bit was taken away from me because I kind of expected it. Okay. Um, if I hadn't expected it... If I didn't see this coming, maybe it would yeah. have been more impactful and to me. As I, I came in without any of this background, I I thought he was I thought that the photographer was good like he was going down a really dark well, but I thought that someone was gonna be able to bring him back. Yeah. Like when his girlfriend starts following him around. Leslie Bibb, she's gonna be there to redeem him yeah. and help him, right? <laughs> Or she's going to be sacrificed to the old ones. <laughs> Maybe that could happen. But I thought, you know, at, at worst that that was going to be the breaking point, And that was... <laughs> um, my problems with the movie actually have to do specifically with the kill sequences mm -hmm. in the subway cars. And how ridiculously over-the-top CGI they are. To the point of a, a scene that is framed and set up to be disturbing and oh my god, <laughs> actually elicits laughter. And that's a big problem. That, that's a, I did not have that experience. No, so. <laughs> CGI, uh, it's uh, Sam Raimi's brother, I believe, plays the part of a guy and he gets smashed behind the head with the hammer and his mm. eye actually pops out mm -hmm. of his head. And I, I don't know, I just like... <laughs> This is something that it would have probably, back in the day, to be done with the prosthetic effect, yeah. and maybe wouldn't have been convincing either. They would have but been, you'd have respected that it was a prosthetic attempt. It would maybe have been more? quicker with the cut, but they yeah. went slow motion. I, I just don't think it, it didn't look good to me. I didn't buy it, and it took me out of the yeah. movie. It took me out of the movie in a crucial scene, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I do think that the movie is more about the world and about sort of the disturbing, like, implications of it mm -hmm. it's not about the grizzly kills although it certainly has that yeah um i i kind of like that that it, i mean it, the violence is on the edge of what we would call torture porny and yeah. nobody's he's not deliberately dragging it out for people but people die of horrible they, deaths they don't just stay there and let him kill them quickly exactly. so he's got to do what he's got to do <laughs> But, you know, it could have been really ugly and horrifying and uh, maybe too ugly and horrifying, you know. Yeah. Maybe the fact that it is so obviously fake will, will be a, a help for some people into the movie. Yeah. But for me, everything else being so dark and dingy and real, the fact that the kills didn't feel real mm -hmm. hurt the movie for me. Um, I'm okay with like our, our protagonist being flawed and that the ending not necessarily being what we hope for yeah. all of the characters. I can live with all of that, but... I don't know, the, the the kill sequences, which are kind of the centerpieces of the movie, are, are wonky, and i got to take points away for that, personally. Fair enough. Interestingly, I'm usually, like, hypercritical of CG, and I <laughs> didn't, didn't have bother. that problem with wow. the... Wow, that's interesting, because I, like, yeah, I, I kind of went, wow, watching it, especially yeah. that one. 
But okay. Well, I'm glad that uh, it wasn't a problem for you. Then. No. Well, I and and what it could have been was that I could see how violent it was getting, and there were actually points when I had to look away. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly thought of that list of this list of movies. You know, yeah, some of them were softer in a way, and I, I hope you don't take offense to this. I was thinking, mm. well, I, I wonder if Ashley was looking at the list and like, well, these ones don't look like they'd be too harsh. Except for that midnight meat trade that we kind of snuck no. under the wire, right? Um, uh, because um, some of the fare, people might argue, is lighter. Um, yeah. uh, or funner, <laughs> if that's a good English major word. More enjoyable uh, than this. But not the horror genre isn't always about that. And I think, you know, that's part of the benefit of the range that we saw in this category. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a horror movie just sets up to make you smile and is stupid and knows it and you know sometimes it's actually legitimately trying to get you to be a little comfortable in your seat yeah and, and, and i think this one was going for that yeah like, <laughs> this one wants you to be a little bit uncomfortable it wants you you know it wants to scare you it wants to get under your skin yeah. and i applauded that ambition for me i kept on getting shaken out of that and have to reorient mm-hmm. i still went with the movie and i still like the movie enough to recommend it for people of fans of this sort of thing yeah um if you do like the story or, or, or the structure of this, I would encourage you to read some H.P. Lovecraft. Because um, the, the stories are bizarre, and the strange fates that are described in them are, you know, the imagination of them are rich. Mm-hmm. Um, someday we're going to see a really honest, good adaptation of it, but they're, they're problematic. Yeah. They're historical, they all revolve around men, the man who wrote them was like a proud racist. <laughs> There's issues, okay. right? okay. That's why you see a lot of H.P. Lovecraft influenced, yeah. but not a lot of real H.P. Lovecraft. But yeah, no H.P. Lovecraft, no Cabin in the Woods, no Midnight Meath Cranker, like largely no Clive Barker, really. <laughs> they give the killer a reason to not speak. I've been talking a lot about slasher movies. Mm-hmm. I did, did slasher cinema history very recently. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael Myers doesn't speak, Jason Voorhees doesn't speak, and our, our killer here, Mahogany, doesn't speak. But they. They tell us why. And for some reason, that felt like such a win for the movie for me. But when you are made the butcher, the man who handles the meat for the mm-hmm. old gods or the old ones, that's part of the deal. Yeah. In case you are captured, you will not speak. And they make sure of that by cutting out your tongue. So when the torch is passed to a Bradley yeah. Cooper character, that is the... <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the many prices he has to pay. And one wonders how long... He's going to have to do this until someone yeah. else defeats him. Well, the impl- yeah, the implication is that um, what's his name, uh, the, the mahogany, Ar- mahogany has been doing has this been a doing while since like the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it looks like there's some sort of immortality. He was given some supernatural along. strength, but he was still aging slowly. He was weakening. And, yeah, yeah. He was having those little puscular boily. But he looks he looks like he's rotting away anyway. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that the other people around this, the peripheral to this, the structure of the city, the some of the police department, who knows this is going on, um, not only are not sympathetic to Bradley Cooper's character, actually sort of, you get the feeling like they envy him in a way, like he's got this real position of honor <laughs> that he gets to do this, yeah. you know. It's an interesting, ugly movie. Um, I, I hope it didn't uh, <laughs> didn't <laughs> cause you to lose your lunch no, or anything. No, but, uh, no, <laughs> like I, I have actually already recommended this one to oh, other people. It's nice. been winning friends by. <laughs> I, 
I am I, I am ashamed to say I misjudged you. I, I, part of me thought you might be like offended or horrified by the movie, so I guess I'm happy. That's a win for Midnight Meat Train. What is happening to me? This virus is without a known vaccine or cure. They wanted this virus as a bioweapon. There's blood everywhere. To keep soldiers fighting after they were mortally wounded. These things aren't human. What's the deal with the special cargo? Top level contractor shipment. Hey, yo, Tom. You're Peter's best friend. What if somebody sees us? So when you sit down to watch a movie that is called Flight, Flight of the, of the Living, Living Dead, Dead, I think you got to take a few things on the chin. I mean, right out of the gate, I could talk about the inconsistency of how the zombie behavior within the movie, or the fact that machine gun fire, or really any kind of gunfire anywhere on board any <laughs> airplane equals disaster. I could go there. I yeah. could come out of the gate and say, yeah, so this movie's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. But I think in order to even begin talking about the movie, we just have to say, this movie is stupid and doesn't make any this, sense. Yeah. This, it does exactly what it says <laughs> on the tin. <laughs> so, um, some scientists are smuggling a body of their fellow scientists on board a, uh, an airplane. And obviously they are up to no good. They have an armed guard protecting their cargo. So it's weird because it's both being smuggled and it's got an armed guard. Yeah. But again, we're, we're, I'm overthinking it. Uh, They're dressed up all government officially. It looks fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's all fine. We are very briefly introduced to our types. I won't say characters. I will say types. <laughs> uh, the Kevin J. O'Connor is sort of like the con artist guy. He's under arrest, but he's not such a bad guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, we've got... The Eric Avery playing the Cooper character, the head of the scientists, who does everything wrong mm -hmm. all the time, aggravates the situation, belittles everyone around him. We look forward to his death. Um, uh, we have the blandly good stewardess, the blandly good sort of uh, airline yeah. investigator. I mean... Who are marked to live. <laughs> yeah. So you already love or hate this movie, I guess. Mm -hmm. I guess. <laughs> like, um... <laughs> It was direct-to-video. It's uh, the guy who uh, directed his name, Scott Thomas. He's done nothing really of note before or since. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you can make a low-budget zombie movie and push it out direct-to-video, you, you know, the timing is right. You are yeah. going to make a return. If you're in a position to make a zombie movie, I say more power to you. <laughs> I, I, Do it now. <laughs> the market is crowded with zombie movies and to be honest as far as direct-to-video zombie movies go mm -hmm. this is all right yeah. this is all right stupid 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 <laughs> but all right you just uh, i mean i know there's a lot of people who just roll their eyes like why would you even take the time to discuss fight of the living <laughs> dead um i understand that, that this is dismissible to a lot of people but if it's not dismissible to you, if, you're, <laughs> if, the, if the title intrigues you, I mean, yeah. it will deliver on that promise in as limited a way as you can imagine <laughs> it would. There is a sequence in the Brad Pitt big-budget zombie movie, World War Z, mm -hmm. where we see an outbreak happen on a plane. 
but it's a five minute sequence, you know? <laughs> and um, to my mind, especially with these types of zombies, that's probably a little bit more, and again, realistic yeah. as to what you would see. Um, so the movie takes its time. It's got a little bit of a made for TV bounce and quality to it. Yeah. Uh, one moment it wants to be funny and charming, the other moment, horrific, horrific violence. Um, it's kind of review proof to me, so I'm yeah. gonna throw the ball right back in your court. Yeah, no, I this was this was a fun turn off your brain, low budget, no surprises horror film, and there there are days when that's exactly what you want. And the day I watched it, it was exactly what I wanted. <laughs> it um, would be actually a soothing antidote in a way for the midnight meat yeah. train if it left up that left kind of a sour taste in your mouth and you wanted some more familiar ground. Yeah, all of the actors are adequate. Um, the the guy being a trans the transported prisoner was like just snarky and lippy enough and yeah. gave me kind of a little John Malkovich vibe and that made me happy and um there are there are some good zombie kills uh there's there's These one are, by the way malaria virus infected super zombies just for those keeping track at home <laughs> you're playing zombie bingo you can check that one off uh again initially the zombies seem a little more Romero-ish and that they seem a little bit they're motivated to eat you and when they get close range they're vicious but they seem a little bit of a mm -hmm. stagger to them but as the movie progresses they're able to break through the floor of the plane and attack people on cue yeah um, they're much like the killer we talked about in the hitcher wherever they need to be when they need to be there yeah. but because there's a multitude of them I guess there's more legitimacy <laughs> I can't believe I used the word legitimacy while talking In, about Flight of the yeah. <laughs> but, uh, The man who plays the pirate, Raymond J. Barry, has been a working actor for a long time. He's the only person who comes close to, quote, distinguishing himself. But it, it's almost more of a, man, what are you doing in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I, I recently uh, was amused by that actor in this Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. He plays Dewey's dad in that. Mm. Inadvertently cuts himself in half with a machete. Spoilers. Other than that, I don't think that anybody in this movie really made an impression on me as far as their acting. No. I recognize Kevin J. O'Connor as somebody that I've seen in other things, but I was trying to name what they were. He's just like <laughs> that guy that I've yeah. seen in some stuff, maybe. <laughs> It's like one of those movies where they need to put the picture by the actor's name yeah. at the end because you're like, where? I want to look up where you're from, but I can't remember what you're called, so I can't. But in a way, for me, that's like the ideal kind of level of success. If yeah. you're a regularly working actor, but you're not like in the sort of public consciousness mm -hmm. of celebrity, then, then in a way, winning, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not making fun of anybody or looking down at anybody for participating in Flight of the Living Dead, no. by the way. If I was offered a part in Flight of the Living Dead, I would be there with a huge fucking smile yeah. on my face. <laughs> but I would be there knowing that I was not making high art. And yeah. that's fine. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Not every movie has to, you know... And the, the place of entertainment is really overlooked yeah. in some circles sometimes. Like... I'm not. I'm not going to lie, though. I mean, for all the the nice and conclusions that I'm saying about it, it's not going to rank particularly high on the list for me. It's not high, high on yeah. the list, but uh, it just it's it is it's an is what it is movie. Yeah, and and it's really it's upfront about what it is. It has no pretensions, and I can really respect that it did what it set out to do. I can totally see somebody looking at this movie and laughing and having a good time. Yeah. 
I can also subtly see somebody watching this movie and feeling stupider for having watched <laughs> it and, uh, you know, resenting their time. And that's largely but mood specific. But that person can turn it off indeed. and go watch Midnight Meat Train and have their brain <laughs> or, you know, this, this, turned. Or... <laughs> it's different folks for this different folks. I, I will happily tune in and watch Fight of the Living Dead. I don't know how much repeat business it's going to get, but mm-hmm. I will watch it. I will give it its day in court. The same way, you know... My wife will watch some Catherine Heigl romantic comedy yeah. that, just from the trailer, you know the whole movie. Yeah. And same thing with Fight of the Living Dead. You watch the trailer, you basically watched the movie. Um, there is some CGI effects when they cut to the exterior of the plane. We're noticeably in CGI world, but <laughs> it, again, this is an openly low-budget film. Yeah. And I guess for the fact that it is so low-budget, there is some pretty impressive sequences. Again, all framed by ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's it's a want to be snakes on a plane. The, my my summary was to paraphrase Jam, Samuel L. Jackson: "I'm tired of these motherfucking zombies on this motherfucking plane." <laughs> but really... it was sorely missing some Sam Jackson, though. I mean, uh, I think that we did maybe need a central character who I could care enough to mm-hmm. bother their name. Like I said, I, think, I, I think... wrote down their types here in my yeah. notes as opposed to their actual names. I think even. the stewardess was the person we were supposed to care about, yeah. but that's someday. Ashley, someday they're going to make a horror movie that takes place on a plane where people don't go to the bathroom to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> this, this was not, not that, that one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll all wait patiently for that. I don't think it happened in the segment in, in, in uh, Twilight Zone with John Lithgow on the plane, but I don't know if that counts because it's just a segment. segment. I'm, I'm sure that at some point in the larger story surrounding that segment, <laughs> it happened. It's just... Um, Is there anything else you would like to say about Fight of the Living Dead? I feel like I've barely reviewed yeah. it. But, uh... Uh, there was there was actually, I thought, a really nice scene when Patient Zero wakes up in the cargo hold and she like came out of her coffiny thing and she hadn't turned it. She actually hadn't turned she into a zombie yet. She was confused by her environment. Confused and afraid and asking for help and the guy shoots her and that's when she turns into a zombie and I was like, I'm like I, I, I engaged with her briefly yeah. that. That and moment. that's more she than you expect. She was the most interesting character in the movie. Um, but, uh, another thing, and we were the plot <laughs> machinations of the script. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> government of Canada or the United States, if you have a plane that is fully fueled and there's a zombie epidemic on board, mm-hmm. and I'm on board, you have my permission to blow up the plane. It's just the right thing to do. <laughs> It's just the right yeah. thing to do. We we see as they crash the plane that a lot of the zombies survive. Yeah. So uh, I don't think there would be a flight of the living dead too. This would just turn into another zombie yeah. movie on the ground. But um, uh, in a way, our heroes by surviving have doomed the planet. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that the writers thought that deeply about it, <laughs> but I'm just throwing that. Well, out or they were setting themselves up for if we want to do a. I but don't know, again, Train of the Living Dead. Ooh, I'd be in that movie. Yeah, you would. Hey, <laughs> that's actually my seat. You're kidding. You're not kidding. My name's Jackson. Lisa, so what do you do? As fate would have it, my business is all about you. I'm not sure where you're going with this. J.R. Joe Reisert. Your father? Where did you get that? Grabbed it off your dad's desk next to your graduation picture. 
you tell the flight attendant and your dad dies? What can I do for you? She's just had a really rough day. A death in the family. Why are you doing this? Somebody wants to send a big brash message. I have to go to the restroom. Okay. I trust you. A man went in there, but a lady's in there too. Do dad a favor and stop gambling with his life. Mr. Wes Craven um, is a genre filmmaker, whether he likes it or not. I'm, I'm, I, I, I would proudly, if, if I could dedicate my life to making horror movies exclusively, I would have no problem with that. I would be thrilled to that. Mm-hmm. There are some directors that seem to somehow just end up being labeled as this, even though they had aspirations or other things. Wes Craven's one of these. George Romero's one of these. They could probably get any horror movie they wanted, you know, mm-hmm. financed, but... Romero wants to make a Western. No one's interested, right? Uh, Wes Craven has directed classic horror movies like Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, and Music of the Heart. He tries to branch out every now and then. There's an odd, there's an odd note in that list here. Yeah. See, look, I can do a dramedy with you know, about students playing music that has no horrific elements at all. I think this this attempt to branch out into the thriller genre is yeah. much more comfortable for him because it's based basically on raising the stakes and amping the suspense, mm-hmm. which he has spent his career doing. At this point, he has made over 20 films, and I think you're close to it, coming to Red Eye. So he's old hat at this. Yeah. And um, I think what this illustrates, I would call this a thriller, or at least more yeah. a thriller than a horror movie, but how much these things have in common Mm -hmm. basically the only thing missing to make this a horror movie is you know the sequence where rachel mcadams father is brutally murdered yeah (laughs) (laughs) or or, you know some the stakes are high but we never really see uh, implicit violence it's all the threat of violence um i think that the, the the plot about this woman who works at a high security hotel who's being manipulated by this terrorist I don't know, assassin, however you want to call him, um, is, you know, not breaking any real new ground. I think what really helps it is the fact that you got Killian Murphy, Rachel McAdams, and Brian Cox. Because I'd probably watch them read the phone book, right? (laughs) (laughs) So um, I think that half the work here was done with your casting. Mm -hmm. That's no disrespect to Wes Craven or the script. I just think, you know... Basic plot elements, these have worked before well. You got solid actors playing the beats out, you yeah. know, the framework is there. I'm saying it was it's a solid movie, but mm-hmm. I don't think anybody here had to stretch themselves. No. <laughs> um, that was my initial take on Red Eye. Coming to revisit it again, actually, for the podcast, I actually liked it more. I kind of sort of saw it as an in-and-out fast food type of meal when I watched it the first time, okay. sort of like I watched it, I liked it well enough, I've kind of already forgot it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But upon watching it again, I think that I, I do think it's worth looking at because specifically the performances mm-hmm. and specifically the mirror, which I'm trying to hold up to all sorts of movies. In in my mind, Ashley, every movie has some corner of it that's a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely thrillers. And the fact that Wes Craven has his fingerprints all over it, he did make a thriller, but he's a horror yeah. director. And I think that's kind of what makes it work. All right. Where do you land on Red Eye? I, I really thought this movie worked. Yeah. Um, 
as as we were talking about earlier, I would watch Killian Murphy in anything because he just doesn't work enough, and he's so good, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, little actor crush. That's there. Cool. You um, met my wife also has a fondness for yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rachel McAdams, I, I totally bought her in that, in the role, uh, in the position of a, of a woman who's keeping herself, you know, sort of safely distanced from, from the everything. rest of the world. And um, I thought, yeah, I thought the writing was really strong. I thought this, like, I thought they were working with a good script. Um, I felt like the balance of warmth and humor with that like gets them into the relationship that allows him to manipulate her was really like nicely played. When you first meet the character that Killian Murphy plays, you like him. Yeah. He's charming. You're kind of cheering for them to get together yeah. in a way. And you know, he he he's he shuts down a a, a passenger on the plane who's being a dick. Yeah. And uh Kismet has it that they're sitting together and all of a sudden he's like, we put the wrong movie in. This is a rom-com. Yeah. Or, or he's going to help her get out of whatever situation that she is in, right? Uh, and, you know, I'd seen the trailer. I kind of knew yeah. that this, this she was going to drop. But the performances are both engaging enough that you get that, yeah. you know. And, yeah, and if, she yeah, would be if taken in by him. He's a good liar. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would be glad to be sitting next to him. You know? <laughs> I'm sitting next to the cutest boy on the plane. <laughs> um, and the other half of this equation, McAdams, is so uh, the story plays out. We find out that she has survived a horrific attack. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of the reason that she's got this sort of hard outer shell in this protective area. And uh, not that, you know being a survivor of, the, of, a, of an attack and a rape is a good thing for anybody. It did put her in the mindset as yeah. this is never going to happen to me again. Yeah. And uh, I really, upon watching it again, connected with that. So once the tables finally start to turn and she gets to hit back, I'm really like, yeah, yeah, yeah you hit that son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> and for some reason I didn't connect as much the first time. I was more hung up on is this uh, this assassination going to happen? And yeah. I kind of missed the personal side that was going on. And it made the stakes higher between her and her father because on top of, you know, her father being terrified for her, he he also knows that this is like the worst thing that could have mm -hmm. happened to her. Like, is this going to make her even more isolated from the world? There's psychological stakes as well as I'm going to die stakes. Yeah. Which most horror movies don't really attempt, right? And, and the... the... That the I'm going to die stakes weren't so much played as the someone I have a responsibility to is going to die. And I thought that was a really interesting take. Yeah. Um, and like uh, she's protecting her old man. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, I love that she drives the car into the house. And there's still a voice. There's a voice in my head that says, your old man could be on the other side of that door. You don't know. But it's awesome that she drives the car yeah. into the house. Um, and, uh, you know, and yeah, again, it's a big, yeah, girl moment, uh, that the movie earns. One thing that I will say, maybe it's a point against, maybe it's just a point of interest. Yeah. Uh, this whole thing is hinging around an assassination attempt of the Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security. Um, and I thought it was an interesting way to pump up the stakes because just some politician getting killed wouldn't be good enough. Yeah. But they added the added thing, oh, his family's with him. 
Because I honestly think that if it was just that one politician, we wouldn't give a shit if he yeah. exploded. <laughs> like we wouldn't. No. And that's interesting that they need to that, that the stake of a human life isn't isn't high enough. Well, and that they make him like the deputy secretary of homeland security. It it makes him like a legitimate target, target. for yeah. this group. But that so it's like okay, we could accept that he had you know taken that position, and with that position comes certain risks. But his family didn't yeah. take that position and shouldn't need to be killed for political gain. Um, uh, and this Killian Murphy character, too, I get the feeling that he's working with a terrorist organization, but he didn't feel like to have any political or religious motivation. No, I, I the, think he's a mercenary. He's a hired gun, and as much as the paycheck, he just enjoys manipulating yeah. people. I think he gets off on the fact that he can charm his way in and out of any situation. And he finally fucks with the wrong person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah. that definitely works for it. Yeah, and, and the setup, like, the setup is good enough that I was not annoyed by the slightly ridiculous, like, last 20 minutes of action sequence. That was, because sometimes that can throw me, but um, the, this movie had bought enough of my goodwill that, you know, I was, I was a little bit, why does Rachel McAdams' dad own a silencer? <laughs> Uh, but the stake, the suspense was as high, arguably more so, when it was just the two of them sitting next to each other on the plane, mm -hmm. as it was when they were chasing and shooting each other. And that's an accomplishment. And, you know, credit to the screenplay and to Wes Craven for mm -hmm. that. Um, I, like I say, I don't think he's stretching too far from his comfort zone, at least as far as he's probably telling himself. But uh, it, the job is done well. Um, there's a sort of through line it's not a real theme but i think maybe a sub theme of the story yeah. of the service industry sucks yeah it goes throughout this movie uh she's sort of the public face of this hotel so her uh job is to smile and take shit yeah and in a way she's unbeknownst being trained to that so when she has to you know be false on the phone to her uh, subordinate in order to get the room changed or deal with the airline people she knows that yeah <laughs> But at the end of this horrific day, she encounters these people that had been set up as being really belligerent beforehand, and finally gets the opportunity to lose her shit on yeah. them. And this is sort of like a big reward for her, you know. And I think any of us who've worked in a customer service job kind yeah. of got to fist pump the yeah. air at that well, moment. That's what I said. As a theme in the movie, did I think that scene was necessary? No, I didn't. But as somebody who has worked in the service <laughs> industry and wanted to do that... I will say, I will give that a pass. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, over above the idea of, you know, terrorism and uh, rape surviving and personal strength, we have the overarching theme of the service industry sucks. <laughs> I saw it. That's what I yeah, saw in there. I, I, can't, I can't argue with that, and I can't argue with that message. So. Yeah, I, did, you know, I don't miss it. I don't miss no. it. I took your advice. It was very good advice. Sean, Sean. Look, I can see that you think you know me, but I don't know who you are. My name is Captain Coulter Stevens. You couldn't freaking me out. Sean. Look, I don't know who Sean is, and I don't know who you are. Welcome back, Captain Stevens. Where am I? You are inside the source code. What is the source code? It's a computer program, Captain. 
Source code enables you to cross over into another man's identity in the last eight minutes of his life. At 7.48 this morning, a bomb exploded on a train outside of Chicago, killing everyone on board. A man named Sean Fentress was on that train. He is now you. So, I have to admit, I have kind of a distrust of, like, any kind of dynasty. Just because your daddy is Martin Sheen doesn't necessarily mean that you automatically inherit all of his acting <laughs> talents. <laughs> you know, uh... Overwhelmingly, people who succeed in Hollywood are either independently wealthy so they can afford to survive and feed themselves mm -hmm. over the years it takes to get discovered, or they grew up in the Hollywood system. They are family to the Hollywood system. Yeah. Um, Max Brooks, the man who wrote World War Z, because it all goes back to World War Z. His daddy <laughs> was this obscure filmmaker, Mel Brooks. Oh, I, I think I've <laughs> heard of him, by which but, I mean seen all of his movies. Indeed. <laughs> Um, a mutual friend of ours met the man, and he asked her what t turned her on to the books. She said my name. He took a poster down, signed it, and told her to give it to me. So this has revised my thinking. Okay, you may have grown up rich in Hollywood, and you get to write zombie books just because that's what you feel like doing. <laughs> Part of me hates you for that, but you're also totally decent and talented on top of everything mm -hmm. else. Duncan Jones, the director of Source Code, his dad is David Bowie. And I don't, like, that's a tough act to follow. Yeah. That is a tough act to follow. <laughs> and, um, you know, he went to film school and, uh, you know, uh, established himself. He made a really strong science fiction picture called Moon, starring Sam Rockwell. fantastic. Bring your hanky, but it is a yeah. really good science Pause the podcast, movie. go watch Moon, <laughs> and then come back. And uh, in 2016, we were going to be seeing his first huge budget film, Warcraft. So we'll see what that turns out to be. I've got to say, on this, I actually need some moment. The things he does with no budget. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I'm usually skeptical of video games being direct made into movies, mm -hmm. but I guess Warcraft is a huge world. It's, yeah, uh, I think it's open form enough that... Uh, and just the strength of Duncan Jones' name being on it itself, I think, well, is... I'm going to watch it. I'm mm -hmm. going to watch it. Mm -hmm. So I tip my hand. I, I'm a fan of Duncan Jones, and therefore I'm a fan of Source Code. I think that Moon might be the better of the two movies, but they're different. They're both science fiction, and, and I think that's about it. that's where the similarities it. end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would also argue that there is a tinge of horror to this story. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, again, a lot of people would say, what's this movie doing here? You know, uh, That's clearly just a science fiction movie. Yeah, I guess if you were going to put it on the rack at the, this thing that they used to have called video stores, uh, it would be in maybe the science fiction section before the horror section. Yeah. But I would argue there's some elements of true horror yeah. in this story. Um, I will try and give us a, at least a, a jump start on what the plot is. Um <laughs> We are sort of given the experience of this main character, um, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who is in this, as we understand it, metal contraption. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's being communicated to through a computer screen from Vera Farmiga, who's sort of talking through the experience. And he's being sent into the body of the experience of some poor innocent civilian who was on board a doomed train yeah. this train is going to explode and in the window of opportunity he is allotted 
um, eight minutes. Eight minutes. Um, um, I want to say his name is Sam. I'm trying to. Uh, Sean Stevens. Stevens. Corporal Stevens. Anyway, Mm. Jake Gyllenhaalie. (laughs) Jake Gyllenhaalie is inside the body of this doomed person, and he has eight minutes to accomplish a task. Mm -hmm. Mainly, what he's trying to figure out where the bomb is, who caused the bomb, because this is a preceding act. They think that there could be other things that happen. If they can stop it now, great. So, ostensibly, he gets to travel back in time, but the catch is he dies, and he gets eight minutes to do it again. Time still goes by eight minutes at a time in the real world, and they need to solve this problem as quickly as possible. And in the time in between, he's trying to reorient, like, why am I in this box? Why is this me? Why are they... <laughs> Why is the health um, support system crashing, crashing in my box? Can we? So uh, he's being thrown to these two different realities, mm-hmm. and so are we. Uh, and uh, that makes the movie immediately engaging. It also has this sort of Groundhog's Day cyclical effect yeah. in that we, we see the same scenes playing himself out over and over again. That can uh, express fatigue upon repeat viewings a little bit, but I do think this is a movie worth watching more than once. It's a movie worth having on the shelf. It's just one of these sort of weird time travel movies where mm-hmm. you, that, that facet is explored. To go too much deeper beyond that, I mean, we will get to it. That's the basic engine yeah. of the plot. He's being thrown back on the train, trying to solve the puzzle on the train, and then being sucked back into the box, trying to solve this, this the puzzle, puzzle the box. in the box. But uh, both ends of it is just this crazy nightmare that he has to figure out. Yeah. I think that Jake Gyllenhaal gives a really strong performance. Um, he had seen Moon, and uh, basically when the, he found out Duncan okay. Jones was doing this next project, Source Code, he's like, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I like that when, you know, a hungry actor just sees talent yeah. and says, you know, yes. Uh, uh, there's a famous story of uh, Billy Bob Thornton getting sent a script for, or, or getting a phone call from the Coen brothers saying they're going to send us a script for the man who wasn't there. We're interested mm-hmm. in you playing the lead. Mm-hmm. And he just said, well, I'll do it. Yeah. I mean, send me the script. Yeah. But I, I will do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I, I respect that. I respect somebody who just doesn't, you know, this isn't necessarily just about the paycheck, you know. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a cool movie, and I, I can be excited going in. If I'm excited going in, I can be more invested. Because yeah. I do think that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as an actor is, is sometimes more on than others. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can sort of feel when he's a little bit more invested in a yeah. film than when he's just kind of cool, sort of dialing it back a little. On a premise level, it just, just took me this long just to describe the yeah. movie. It's already incredibly intriguing. Um, please, where do you land on Source? Uh, I was... So I, I'm really, at this point, surprised that I had not seen this when it was out. Uh, because for some reason, the trailer or the marketing failed right. for me. Didn't catch uh, it. It didn't, it didn't catch me. And I watched this, and this is right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> this, is, this is action, suspense, and time travel. And those are... Action and time travel are my bag. That's... Uh, let's see. Um... I thought it was really interesting that the movie starts out and I know more about what's going on than the main character does. Uh, He was the first round in the train, he was completely confused. He had no idea. The first round in the box, he's completely confused. He has no idea where he is or why. And the last thing he can remember is being in Afghanistan. (laughs) And um, that set up such high stakes. And I was so invested and I was so... I was so I was interested because the character 
didn't know what was going on, yeah. and that was not what I had expected. And uh, he's motivated to catch the bomber because obviously, you know, he's doing his job. He's being yeah. a good soldier, but he also kind of knows that this is the this is the immediate problem. Mm-hmm. If I can solve this problem. Maybe I can get answers to this other thing. And he's motivated to, to solve that problem and to save everybody on that train while his, you know, runner back at the on the computer screen is going, No, that's not your problem. This has already happened. Move on, move on, move on. Yeah. We don't we don't we don't care. We the, don't the, care. The train as far as she's concerned, the train has exploded. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the things that the movie explore, explores is that is he in fact going back into that same timeline or is every one of these new source codes in a parallel universe parallel universe in which case if he stops the bomb in that universe you know all of those people are spared Mm -hmm. um again it's the trouble with time travel movies is that you open up these doors and you could just get (laughs) lost in them um the movie is smart enough to move keep moving fast enough that you have to deal with the problem that's right in front of you and Sometimes that's him trying to figure out where the bomb is. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's him trying to find out the bomber. Sometimes that's him trying to save the Michelle Monaghan character yeah. who he's connected with and doesn't like the idea of her dying. Sometimes he takes the time to explain himself. Sometimes he just bolts up and leaves because yeah. time is of the essence. But I think most surprisingly to me is that some of the most impressive stuff are where he does something for himself. He uses one of those eight, almost entire eight minutes to make a phone call to his dad. Mm-hmm. Which I just thought was an incredible scene. In the midst of all these other stakes and all this, he still decides he's going to do something for himself. And it's so good for him and his dad that he gets to do that. So, yeah. uh, Really, really good stuff (laughs) in that regard. Let's fast forward a little bit, getting towards close to the end of the movie. We do do spoilers for this show. And and, uh, I know a lot of people will listen to the reviews anyway, but I do think that it may affect your enjoyment of Mm -hmm. the film if we just play it all out for you here. So... This last chance out of the gate here. Yeah. We're going to get into the spoilers at the end of the movie because yeah. it's worth talking about. And essential. Um, <laughs> when we, we... I mean, I'd figured it out. I think that most people probably have seen a lot of science fiction movies got the feeling like he wasn't being played straight yeah. by the people on the other side of the box. That he was kind of... There was clearly something instrument. going on. And, and they were being really withholding with information. And that was... But when we find out that he's actually being kept alive and that he's basically just two-thirds of a yeah. person um, and that the inside of the box he's basically been building with his mind mm-hmm. um, and that they're keeping him alive in, in this equipment in order for him to use the source code yeah. to do good, but they're extending his life. And this existence that he has in this box is constant, terrifying, stressful, yeah. horrible things. So he uh, asks to be shut off. He's like, okay, well, I will stop this bomb and then fair trade, you know, turn me off. And of course, then the evil who in charge, Jeffrey Wright, doesn't want this to happen. Uh, Vera from Mega comes and saves the day. But this is the question for the end of the movie here. I caught that twist at just the right moment. Um, And and I do think that I'm fairly like sci fi time travel literate uh but i i realized that he was dead like 20 seconds before Before he asked before he asked her am i dead and i went yes and it was (laughs) just perfect is he dead because they i think that he's not dead dead till they pull the switch yeah he's not dead dead but i think i think they've been like keeping him suspended at the edge of death and like only switched him on in time for to do this procedure 
Yeah. Um, so he is able to, because he gets her information, text her from the past, and basically says, uh, the bomb didn't go off. Yeah. You know? Um, so source code w- works way better than you could have imagined mm-hmm. it. You're still stuck with your reality, but your reality is not necessarily yeah. what, you know, is the prime reality. Yeah. But what's left a little bit up to us is at that freeze frame at the end of the movie, I think what we're meant to believe is that he will just go on and he'll go on and have a nice romantic coffee date with mm-hmm. Michelle Monaghan and the bomb will not go off and yeah. he will just live that life. In that scenario, the dude who was sitting in that seat... Has His existence erased. has been obliterated yeah. by Captain Stevens. It's a bit of a being John Malkovich <laughs> ending in that regard. In that this guy still died. He was just a guy sitting across the yeah. seat. From but, <laughs> you know, this guy died, but I guess if you wanted to moralize, he was going to die anyway, yeah. and this way everybody else got yeah. to live. So. The, the need of the one outweighs the need of the many. I think yeah. Star Trek might have said that at one point. Um the other thing is just the way they do that sort of slow freeze frame on him. I'm just not sure, like, uh, in yeah. his mind, he wants this to be the scenario in which he lives on forever, yeah. but... Or will this have been, like, a temporary, um, the, the captain gets... took over his brain and it'll slowly, like, he'll slowly get reabsorbed back into the the host body we don't know. regaining control. I don't even know, don't like, know. after the eight minutes goes up, maybe maybe Stevens disappears yeah. we don't know we're sort of the ending is a little bit of a question mark mm-hmm. and this goes to science fiction as a genre mm-hmm. I believe science fiction is the toughest genre to do yeah. period Duncan Jones at this point has made two fantastic science fiction movies so he's a good filmmaker mm-hmm. if he does nothing but shit from now on he's a good <laughs> filmmaker because it's not easily done yeah. and it's usually the third act that will make or break mm-hmm. and maybe they can't supply all the answers and maybe that's a cop-out but it does not feel like oh no they dropped the ball in the third act no. like it, it still feels like a satisfactory conclusion in a way perhaps it's a choose your own adventure conclusion so yeah. you can decide how that ends for for stevens but he's no longer trapped in source oh. code is the main thing and even if that means his death in a way he's won he got to say goodbye to his dad. He yeah. got to stop the bomb from exploding. And he even got to romance a girl. And yeah. he got to do it eight minutes at a time before exploding again and, and again. And he, he let he got to let his boss know that this works. Yeah. It's But it's horrifying, right? He's yeah. half of a body. He's already suffered an explosion and now eight minutes at a time he gets to die over and over and over again. Like In multiple realities at multiple times yeah. because like I, I imagine that when they, you know, in the new parallel universe, when they start him up, it'll go through a very similar series of events. Yeah. It's 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 a cool movie. <laughs> like yeah. it just is, um, and uh, it's totally worth exploring. And uh, like the good sci-fi time travel movies, uh, you're not always in the mood for them. That you mm-hmm. can't watch them. They maybe don't have the repeat viewing that a lot of other ones do but you'll pull out 12 monkeys and watch it again yeah. and, and i think that source code code is is definitely yeah no game. i'll i'll definitely watch source code again it's a- hello they came down on the beach just a handful of left you should handle the whole group there were 10 survivors of flight 117 when did you first realize that 
that something was wrong. You have no idea what any of us are going through. Some returned in shock. Hey! Wait! Don't go! But one... How are you feeling? I feel great. ...came back with a gift... ...that can't be explained. Your patients are highly susceptible to external influence right now. It's my dog. Okay, this is going to be the shallow portion of my interview. <laughs> um, since the powers that be in the gossip world decrowned de Gwyneth Paltrow and she decided to go live in Europe and pretend to be Martha Stewart for a while, uh, they crowned a new princess of Hollywood. And mm. arguably, I would say that princess is Anne Hathaway. <laughs> and uh, this is that movie that came out sort of right around the time she was popping really big that nobody saw, yeah. that nobody talks about. Now, is that because this is a terrible movie? Or uh, <laughs> is it something that she should be ashamed of? It's not like Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey trying to destroy every copy of Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation, because <laughs> they are both in that classic feature. <laughs> um, this is like a um, fairly polished production with an appallingly good cast. Yeah. Anne Hathaway, Patrick Wilson, Diane Weist, who I love, <laughs> Andre Brower, uh, David Morse, and Clea Duvall. Like, that's, that's, that's an awesome cast as yeah. far as I'm concerned. So, why is it, do you think, that nobody has heard of The Passengers? Because it's boring. <laughs> it's so boring. <laughs> I I forgot this movie as I was watching it, and I had to watch it twice, oh, Larry. No. And I still don't remember very much. All uh. right. <laughs> so once again, much like Source Code, I think that when we discuss Passengers, we are going to have to discuss spoilers. Mm -hmm. um, the basic premise is uh, we understand things when the movie starts. Anne Hathaway is a grief counselor, and she is consoling the survivors of this plane crash. Mm -hmm. And... They are, are all suffering from various degrees of paranoia, and um, they start disappearing yeah. one by one. And she needs to know what's up with these weird passengers. Um, this movie is uh, of a template that we're seeing a lot in ghost movies these days, mm -hmm. in that A-list cast, very PG. Yeah, It's all about atmosphere, and they can cut together a spooky trailer, but this they're, they're not going to, you know... You can bring your kids to this movie. You could watch this yeah. movie with your grandmother. That's not necessarily a bad thing. This is just sort of a, it's a bland direct marketing strategy that we're going to just cast as wide a net as possible mm -hmm. here. So this is kind of a nice friendly ghost story, which is not typically my bag. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also uses the familiar twist element of a central character not realizing that they're a ghost. Yeah. This can be done to great success. I quite positively recently reviewed spoilers. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming everyone has seen The Sixth Sense. I can let that one go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I thought that that did a really good bait and switch. Mm -hmm. I think where the passengers goes awry with this is that A, I'm tired of this twist. Yeah. We've seen it a lot. And B, I don't think it's something that you necessarily would see coming beyond the fact that that's what every ghost movie yeah. seems to be these days but like i don't feel a puzzle is being to be solved no here. like there's no way we could uh, anticipate that basically everybody we see in the movie is, is a ghost. dead yeah and uh, when that reveal comes it's more uh, okay i guess you got yeah. me but like um 
there was no way I could figure that out. It's not even a false narrator. Like, okay. it's not an unreliable narrator. It's an unreliable narrative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for some people, that will still work. For me, I just kind of feel like you, you, the movie's telling you this is what's happening, and then all of a sudden, no, none of that's happening. Yeah. That's not necessarily super strong, aha, smart filmmaking. Uh, I know it might feel like that, but it's not. <laughs> it, it feels like it thinks it's super strong, uh-huh, filmmaking. Like, I feel like this movie thinks it's better yeah. than it is. There are a lot of other PG ghost movies that I can list that are far superior. Yeah. You know, and that'll, that'll, that'll use variants on this, this premise. The Sixth mm-hmm. Sense and the others being two that immediately come to mind. Mm-hmm. Um I hadn't seen this movie before, but when I watched it, I felt like it was a movie that I had seen before. Mm-hmm. And I think that what makes it watchable for me, I guess, if I watched it again, I would probably be bored. The first yeah. time I was watching it, I wasn't bored, but because I just, I love some of these actors. I've always loved yeah. Diane Weist. She's the mom in The Lost Boys, <laughs> and uh, and she's in this classic Steve Martin comedy, Parented. Okay. Always been a big fan of hers. Andre Brower, who's in Brooklyn Nine-Nine now, but uh, I always remember on this old cop show, Homicide, um, uh, he was her, her boss, mm. or, or as he's framed in there. Yeah. David Morse, who's sort of like the king of the intense character <gasps> yeah. actors, right? And his character particularly I really liked because, uh, you know, he was, as we were understanding the story, the pilot. Yeah. And... Uh, she in this this midst of this conspiracy is convinced that it wasn't that it wasn't the normal thing that made this plane go down and uh, he was the pilot and mm-hmm. the plane went down and it was his fault and he's trying to own it. Yeah. The reason he is so aloof and angry is because you know he feels responsible for all of this yeah. death, and that's kind of a nice angle. Um, the fact that her boss, who's this friendly, warm character, and that's like she actually picked from her subconscious was this grade one or two teacher she remembered having that was really influential to her. Again, not having that information until the end of the movie, it it doesn't really mean anything until... No, and I wonder if you could have built a stronger story if we had that information at the beginning of the movie. (laughs) Don't hide that she's dead. That's what I was, was building up to here. I think that in a way... Building the whole movie behind around this twist that we kind of see coming yeah. was a mistake. I think in a way, have it start with the plane crash, you know? Mm-hmm. Have them, you know, be dealing with... Basically, this is death denial. Yeah. It's what all living people do. We live our lives denying that <laughs> death is going to happen to us. And this is a taken to an extreme case. They have died, but mm-hmm. they still won't accept it. And that's, in this world, what ghosts are. The conversation this movie is, is bringing out is far more interesting than the movie itself. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, and, and like now I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking about how we could recut this into a good movie, just using the, the material that's already there. Like, if you started at the beginning with the their on-the-plane interaction where uh, the main male character gets to know Anne Hathaway, and like... Even, like if we if we under if they didn't try and hide all the way through, and then his creepy stalker patient thing might not play as so creepy. I didn't buy their chemistry. That was yeah. another big problem for me. Um, and you know I really like Anne Hathaway. That's I think I think she's pretty. She's usually pretty solid. Um, but I didn't buy her falling for this guy who keeps showing up at 
her house and showing up over work and won't come to group sessions. Like I, I had also a, very unprofessional. If you're a therapist, you do not yeah, enter into a relationship but, with your patient. You know, but, to, and and this is like probably a female perspective. Like I had a guy look up my phone number without like me having given it to him, and that was creepy enough. Right. Like I can't imagine if somebody started showing up places. Um, yeah, well, again, I, I, I took the relationship bonus on the chin because I kind of knew this was a romantic ghost story, yeah. you know. Um, it's not awful, it's just bland. Yeah. It's, it's like... It's not bad enough to be entertaining. <laughs> Thoughts? Um, again, the premise, even, like, once they have this epiphany, uh, things that go from terrifying to awesome like Clea Duvall's character is freaking out because she keeps seeing her parents and her parents have mm-hmm. died and then they show up at her door and she opens the door and instead of running from them she talks to them and you know we're a family again this is a happy moment yeah. and again like just handled from the other side we would still get the dramatic impact of that you know I say that set it as they're all ghosts. Anne Hathaway refuses to accept that she's a ghost because she's the most pragmatic thinker of the bunch. Mm-hmm. You could even keep the business with Patrick, uh, uh, what's his face's character, uh, staying with her, just waiting her out for yeah. her to have the discovery. Everyone else, once they have this epiphany, they ascend to heaven or whatever the yeah. next thing is. But he waits for her. You could even keep that. Mm-hmm. This is basically a person who has lived their life being very stubborn, finally having to admit she's wrong. <laughs> that would be a that's more, an interesting story. <laughs> that's a more compelling story than the one we're given. Yeah. Right. Uh, like I, I like this movie for what it wants to be more than what it yeah. is. Uh, I guess. I don't think it deserves quite the shunning that it has been given in a lot of ways. Like it's <laughs> this like. Thing that everyone wants to forget ever happened. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it's not awful. It's not like Hudson Hawk or no. something. You know that, that everyone involved should just bury their head in the sand. But it's just—it's just utterly forgettable. Like I—I I don't think it's being purposely buried. I think it's just not. Yeah, it, it got the reaction it perhaps deserved. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> you know, I, I feel and and it is. You know, it's all very atmospheric and very tame, and it could you know, just go on to the late night movie rotation. People could watch it on TV and forget what they're watching during the commercials. Oh, Ashley, I've so misjudged you and I apologize. (laughs) See, I was thinking like, oh, she's going to really hate uh, the midnight meat train and she's going to really love the passengers and this is going to cause friction, but we're both on the same page. (laughs) Punch it in. Ashley Paczkowski proving her awesomeness yet again. Is there anything else you want to say about the passengers? Have we been suitably mean to it? No, I think I can go ahead and forget it again now. to rank these six planes, trains, and automobile films. And thank you so much for coming back. Oh. Of course, you are more than welcome to come back again. There's Huzzah. over 200 proposed episodes up on the site <laughs> right now to choose from. So we'll see how deep I get into them. Yeah. I think it starts to get depressing if I have uh, uh, less likes on Facebook than I have episodes available. <laughs> then, then I might have to rethink things. <laughs> but... Um, 
I am curious to see how you rank these. Mm-hmm. Is is this the episode <laughs> where <laughs> I actually get to give out another prize? Uh, we shall find I, I will. I will be surprised. <laughs> so I am. I am ranking my conscience rather than trying to win. So. At number six, I have the utterly forgettable passengers. Mm-hmm. No surprises there. Uh, at number five, I put the hitcher. Um, you know, it it has its moments, but overall, it didn't connect for me. Um, at number four, I put Flight of the Living Dead <laughs> for its sheer silly watchability, mockability, popcorn <laughs> fun. Uh, at number three, I put Red Eye. Um, it's it's solid and it's fun. It's just a little less creepy than than I probably would have uh, pushed it to the top. Yeah, yeah. I'd expect I had expected and and you know all of my memories being from like when I saw the trailer when it came out in like '97 and I was <clears throat> 14 or something. Um, I I had expected it to be a lot scarier than it was. Right. So. Uh, at number two, I put Midnight Meat Train, uh, which which I you know I is is like pretty much four and up on this are are recommends from me. <laughs> okay. Um, and at number one, the one that will probably you know make it into my list of of favorite movies and movies that I rewatch a lot. Uh, the very exciting source code. I'm so thrilled I got to introduce uh, a, a movie that you liked so much too. I always like it when people uh, discover something mm-hmm. through my podcast. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, if anybody listening had dismissed source code because the trailer looked familiar or something, give it a look. Yeah. Um, sadly, this is not the episode where we go six for six or zero for six, <laughs> but uh, I'm still thrilled that you came back. Um, so thank you. Here is my list, such as it is. Where we do line up is that I put the passengers in sixth place. Um, I, I, I could flip-flop on, on five and six, mm-hmm. but in this case, as far as the likelihood of me revisiting, yeah. I'm more likely to revisit Flight of the Living Dead, <laughs> which clocks in at number five, yeah. than I am with the passengers. I don't know if I can seriously argue that it's a better made or acted movie than the passengers, <laughs> but... I think, it, I think it accomplishes what it's setting up to do a lot more effectively. Yeah. It is what it is. It's review-proof, like I said. Uh, but it's going to get a little different here for a while. In fourth mm-hmm. position, I put The Midnight Meat Train. Mm-hmm. I really thought the atmosphere was good, the story was strong. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I had to really take points away for the kills. Yeah. I was taken a little bit out of it. By the, They were over the top to begin with. I guess I would have lived with the over the top, but unconvincing? Mm-hmm. That stings. Mm-hmm. That stings. So... Uh, it could have been a contender, and I still think it's worth checking out. Absolutely. This is not a negative review, yeah. but Midnight Meat Train in fourth position. And third position is Red Eye. Um, and again, I think that this is a, a game cast, sort of elevating mm-hmm. a solid enough script, but a familiar script. Whether or not you've seen this movie before, it will feel like you've seen this yeah. movie before. <laughs> um, but polish of the director the polish of the cast mm-hmm. and the fact that it's like it's lean it's just under 90 minutes yeah. uh it's it'll keep you entertained you know you want some something that's quick that'll hold your attention yeah. you know that's a good choice 
all the way at number two, and I'm gonna say <laughs> I'm gonna say that this is uh, probably a lot of nostalgia for me being a kid and watching John Ryan yeah. killing people. But I don't know the the Hitcher really spoke to me for some reason uh, from a young age. Um, the the mysterious nature of this killer, which I guess I have invented this huge crazy deep backstory yeah. to accommodate all of the weird corners that the movie gets to but i do think that rudger hauer is fucking scary oh, yeah. in that movie and uh i sympathized with the jim character because uh, no matter what he did he just kept, kept getting worse and worse <laughs> and worse for him so i all the way on second position uh, is the hitcher and uh, we, I guess we agreed with yes. the beginning and the end, yeah. because uh, Soundly, in first place, is Source Code. This is the most original of all of these movies, and in a way for me, kind of maybe the most horrific, mm. is at least experiential. Mm -hmm. If I put myself in the shoes of this Jake Gyllenhaal character, and being exploded every eight minutes yeah. in the hope that maybe my life could finally be extinguished so I won't have to be exploded every eight minutes, and like I say, in those pockets of time being able to settle estates with his father and make a connection with this woman and ostensibly save everybody on that plane on that train yeah. like number one yeah. easily strongly yeah. um important question have you seen planes trains and automobiles i have not seen planes trains and automobiles son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> okay well I'm going to send you home with planes, trains, and automobiles. Right. Whether or not you want to do another episode of this podcast, I frankly fucking insist <laughs> <laughs> that you watch planes, trains, and automobiles. Okay. This is not a horror movie at all. It stars Steve Martin and John Candy. Oh, and excellent. it's written and directed by John Hughes, the man who brought us The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Okay. You're going to look at me blankly about The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off? I, I've, I've heard of The Breakfast Club and I've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But I'm very old, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm, very, I'm, very, I'm very disconnected <laughs> to some major areas of pop culture. <laughs> I forgive you. If it didn't have laser swords, I didn't go out of my way to see it. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I'm going to make you watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And right. uh, if you hate it, just do us a favor and tell me that you thought it was just charming. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to episode 32 of Rankin Review. If you would like to leave me some feedback, you can do that at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N. R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com Let me know what I got right. Let me know what I got wrong. Tell me how you'd rank the movies. Give me some ideas for themes of other episodes. Just anything, any thoughts you'd like to share. I like knowing there's people out there listening. I know that this episode ended with a bit of a cliffhanger. How did Ashley Pachkowski really feel about planes, trains, and automobiles? That, my friends may have to be a discussion for another day. Thank you so much for your time.